0: Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Bible and Me podcast. In this episode, Molly Watts talks to Sarah Yardley about her important grounding in God's word as a youth and how he moved her from California to Cornwall to become Creation Festival coordinator. Sit back and relax and be encouraged by Sarah's story. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the individual speaking and may not represent the views of Preset Ministries UK. We hope and pray that this podcast will bless you in your walk of faith. If it does, leave us a rating or review and subscribe for more podcasts every Friday. And now, without further ado, here's the podcast. Sarah, welcome. It's fantastic that you're with me today on our podcast, The Bible and Me. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm delighted to welcome you, Sarah Yardley, who I would describe as being a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. Sarah, you're the coordinator of Creation Fest, which is a large Christian Bible and music festival, and perhaps we'll have time to talk about that uh, in a few minutes. You're the oldest of seven children. And you have traveled extensively um, in about 80 countries, I think, is that right?
1: Just 78. I'm hoping to
0: get to 80 this oh, year. 80 ahead. this year yes. um, Welcome. Let me start off by saying, how did an Orange County, Californian single lady end up in Cornwall?
1: Thanks so much, Molly. It's a delight to be here. And uh, not surprisingly, the Bible has a big part to play in that particular story. Okay. Uh, So I grew up in Orange County, California, and had a fantastic uh, home, church, friend, etc. group there. I started coming over to the UK in 2009, and I came over Mm -hmm. for seven summers just to serve and be part of a festival called Creation Fest. Mm -hmm. And as I was coming over with those trips, I I developed some incredible friendships, but really didn't ever dream of moving to the UK. The summer of 2014, though, when I arrived and landed, uh, I landed and woke up to the news that the previous director of Creation Mm -hmm. Fest had passed away quite suddenly the night before. And... He'd had cancer and it had been a, a difficult journey, but we'd prayed with such expectant faith for his healing mm-hmm. that it literally hadn't even crossed our minds, or or mine at least, that God wouldn't heal him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, you know, in the midst of that heartache and, and heart wrenching time we were kind of just doing the next thing next as you sometimes do and so uh, just before the festival launched I went for the day to Plymouth and I sat in a little tea shop overlooking the harbor where the Mayflower steps the pilgrims first set Mm -hmm. sail and I was reading uh, just my weekly devotional reading or rather my daily devotional reading from Isaiah 49 And that passage, um, it speaks about the coastlands, God's attention being given to the people from afar. It says that God has called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He has named me by name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me away. And it it goes on to talk about the fact that the calling of the the child, the servant of God, is to bring salvation to the nations and light to the ends of the earth. And I just wrote in my Bible, God, are you calling me to Cornwall? But there were a lot of question marks around that. And the next week at Creation Fest, a lovely prophetic couple came, asked if they could pray over me, and prayed that exact, fairly obscure passage of scripture, nearly word for word. And so God's word holds this tremendous part in my calling to England. It was continually confirmed by someone providing all the financial need for me to move to the country. Um, Another group offering to take care of a number of the practical logistics around my move. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, both my family and my job back in the States saying, we affirm you just staying in England. Mm -hmm. And so when I showed up with my suitcase of summer clothes, I uh, turned into braving my first Cornish winter (laughs) with a strong word from the Lord being a, a good anchor. Her to the, the season that followed.
0: So you are here because you really firmly believe that the Lord has directed you to be here, although it wasn't sort of planned other than sort of 24 hours notice in a sense to, to stay. Um, because we met Phil, Phil and Megan Pachonis, yes. many years ago through yes. Creation Fest. And uh, they were, well, they are then, well, Megan is just the most precious lady, and, and their service to the Lord through Creation Fest um, has just been very far reaching. Yeah. And interestingly, I met Phil and Megan in the year 2000 at a castle that my
1: church owns in Austria, which is a whole other story (laughs) for another time. But we were there for a Bible and missions conference. And so I got to watch Phil and Megan's journey of faith for many years. Mm -hmm. I think as a follower of God, I'm in my 30s. It's beautiful to have people who are a few steps ahead of you and you can learn from their examples Mm -hmm. and see the way that they've learned the Lord, see the way that they've read their Bibles, see the way that they've followed. And then to recognize that at some point you also get to be the one who has a few people who are mm-hmm. a few steps behind you, yes. learning and, and that you can invest and share and yes. pour into. And I think that's one of the greatest joys that we have in our Christian journey.
0: And that's discipleship, isn't it? It is. It's discipling other people, being discipled and discipling other people. So when did your journey with Jesus begin? Were you brought up in a Christian home or yes. how did you come to know Jesus? So. I always
1: say that I can't remember a time in my life when a love for God was not present. My dad was quite a new Christian. He came from a fairly wealthy Newport Beach background. Um, He became a believer a couple of years before he met and married my mom, who came from a Baptist, Pentecostal, and then hyper-conservative background. If you understand anything about theology and you're listening, you'll understand the spectrum that that represents. Um, but they both found home at a place called Calvary Chapel, and the two major tenants at Calvary Chapel are one, we believe the Bible, and we're mm-hmm. going to teach it word by word, verse by verse, uh, yes. Genesis to Revelation. I went through the Bible seven times with my pastor.
0: So you let's just stop there, there just for a second. Yes. So how old are you? Early thirties? I'm thirty four. You're thirty four, and you've been through the whole Bible with your pastor how many times? So seven times before he passed away, which was. Uh, oh goodness,
1: gosh, four years ago now. So he taught us from Genesis to Revelation seven
0: times uh, before I hit the age of 30. That's incredible. Taking the whole Bible. So you have been brought up and grounded in the whole counsel of God. Absolutely. I think one of the joys of that, and it's a bit geeky sometimes, is you find that you've memorized
1: so many scriptures that you can just spout out almost any book or reference in in our home group. They all laugh because they can say most of the words of Scripture and I'll give them the Bible reference that goes with it. And it's it's a wonderful legacy.
0: How has that helped you, though, practically? Because one of the struggles that you have said that you have is with something like um, panic attacks. Yes. Um, How has the Bible actually practically helped you deal with life today as a 34-year-old single lady in Cornwall? Yeah.
1: So I passionately believe that God's Word is alive. That it's a book that we must be anchored in, but that it's also the living word of God. And so one of the very practical ways that that helps is, you know, this past year I struggled with some some significant panic attacks, and the words of God were alive to me, even in those seasons of pain and anxiety. And so I didn't necessarily have to go, get my Bible off the shelf, open it, read it, in a time where I didn't maybe feel like I had the strength to do anything. Yes. But I could just sit quietly and remember the words of scripture that have already been washed over me, mm-hmm. and I think that uh, there's the simple scriptures that many know, like "The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want." He leads me beside the green pastures. You, you just you you allow the words and the truth of scripture to watch over you, um, and those those things hold such a deep resonance because. In the places where maybe I don't have the strength to do anything else, God's word is still alive to me.
0: And so having been grounded in the truth, mm. the Holy Spirit then is able to bring those verses to your mind at that time, at that point of need. Yeah, absolutely. And then rehearsing them and just holding on to them and allowing the power of uh, God just to, I don't know, bring you peace. Is that what you found? That he de- Did he bring you peace? Did the panic attacks abate? Or was he able to um, give you a way through the problems? Yeah, so... Interestingly, for the period of time when I
1: had the panic attacks, there were a whole variety of things God used to bring peace. Um, The day that I first posted about them publicly Mm -hmm. was the last day that I had a panic attack. And one of my pastors said to me, uh, you brought into light the places of shame in your life Mm
2: -hmm. and they
1: lost their power over you. And so I'm still wrestling through the theological implications, and uh, one of the things that was phenomenal about going through that season of panic attacks was the overwhelming response, particularly from Christian spiritual leaders who shared about the panic attacks that they are currently or did previously struggle with for a significant time in their ministry. Um, I'll share one of those stories. Uh, A dear... Friend of mine and also my cousin um, is a woman named Jamie Owens Collins. And Jamie was a significant musician, and during her 30s, for a period of time, same time as I did, in the peak of her ministry, many ways similar, um, she struggled with very similar uh, anxiety and panic attacks. And she posted this publicly on my Facebook. And I think that. There's something about recognizing that our sufficiency is in Christ Mm -hmm. and realizing that at different times and different ways in our journey, uh, there's going to be attacks against us both personally, physically, mentally, and emotionally. And so I think something about having the companionship of recognizing I'm not alone in the midst Mm -hmm. of this, but God is greater than my panic attacks. Mm -hmm. Gave me the ability Um, to walk step-by-step through the process. And there were lots of scriptures that spoke to me in the midst of that. Um, Philippians 4, 7 through 8. Mm -hmm. You know, whatsoever things are pure and lovely and of good report, think on these things. Mm -hmm. Um, But there were also times equally where a simple redirecting of my thought patterns Mm -hmm. didn't immediately resolve the problem. There were some physical things that I needed to do, um I might need to call or text some friends to be praying for me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um yeah, there there were there were a whole variety of things I think that played towards working. So forward.
0: for anybody that's listening that yes. also suffers with panic attacks. Yes, um, what would you say? Clearly scripture know the word of God or um how how would you say that they should perhaps know the word of God is, is critical. Equally I would say have
1: Strong, believing friends who will pray into it with you without just giving you scripture as a Band-Aid, but who will sit with you, listen to you, and who have the freedom and wisdom to speak grace over you. Mm-hmm. Um, I took some incredible vitamin supplements that were really helpful for me, mm-hmm. um, something called GABA, an anti-stress medication, and a whole host of others would be really happy to share any of that. Um, there were a couple of really practical things I would sometimes lay down on the floor flat Mm -hmm. and put something heavy like a book on my chest and just find an anchor, weight for it. And also just realizing that sometimes there's the need to either sit down with someone who's a a licensed counselor or a therapist and just share what what you might know would Mm -hmm. be an issue or what you might not know would Mm -hmm. be an issue. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the combination of those things, but ultimately the presence of Jesus Christ um, Mm -hmm. was the most important part of my healing.
0: Well, that is just very encouraging. And thank you for Mm. being so vulnerable because not everybody is vulnerable about what they're going through, but um, thank you for that. Glad to. So back to California then (laughs) sunny California because of course the climate is so different to um, much of our weather here in the UK so you brought up the oldest of seven children you went to the Calvary Chapel you were taken through scripture many times yeah Um, what was your employment what were you involved in before you came over here
1: Yeah, so I grew up at that church and then when I was 16 years old was given my first job working at a book distribution center owned by Calvary Chapel and uh, I was the copy girl. So I made the photocopies and answered the phones and did the receptionist role Um, and I ended up working at that job for 10 years. And during the course of those 10 years, it was a phenomenal opportunity to both learn faithfulness in ministry, see the best and worst of working with Christians, Um, but equally and especially in relevance to this podcast, um, to really appreciate the joy of Christian publishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the way that books are produced and written and distributed and shared out with the marketplace was phenomenal. And even just to understand for a Bible, not just that the words are alive, but that there are a thousand choices around what typeset you use, what kind of paper, what kind of binding. Is it a calfskin or a goatskin? Is it the Signature Style series with the hand zone binding? We could go on, but it'll bore the listeners. Okay, um, And so just to appreciate... The, the written word. And I think of one specific story that was really valuable to me during that time. Um, I went to a Christian booksellers' convention because these things exist and thousands of people mm-hmm. go to them. And the speaker at this particular convention was a woman named Anne Graham Lotz, who some of our listeners will be familiar with. So Anne stood up to address about a thousand people, and everyone in that room was involved in some way with Christian book sales and distribution. Mm-hmm. She Walked to the platform and said, ladies and gentlemen, will you open your Bibles? And not a page rustled in the room because none of us had brought our Bibles with us. And she looked out at the audience and paused. And she just said, men and women of God, Mm -hmm. do not forget why
2: you are here.
1: And that moment, nine years later, is as powerfully intense for me now Mm -hmm. as it was in that room. And I believe what Anne was given was a prophetic word really for our generation, which is how easy it is sometimes to do the work of God Mm -hmm. without our relationship entrenched in the word of God and vibrantly alive. And I I think of that, that moment often because I spent many years in Christian ministry, and sometimes it's even in that place that it's easy to forget how important our personal active relationship with Christ
0: is. And so from that place of intimate relationship with our Lord mm. flows everything else. Is that what Anne was saying? That unless we're grounded in the truth of God's word, work is just busyness? Work is just work? Is that what she was saying? Or I think in what? that
1: room in that time, the word was primarily for people who are selling God's word. Don't forget to be reading God's okay. Word as well. So it was
0: a challenge for people in ministry to make sure that your relationship was anchored in the truth of God's Word. Yeah, absolutely. And equally, I think then,
1: I believe wholeheartedly, ministry must flow from intimacy. And that the outflow of that becomes as we spend time in His Word, as we know the character of Christ, as we understand the story that Scripture is telling,
0: then out of that intimacy will flow our opportunities for ministry. You know, Sarah, very well that um, Precept Ministries, the organisation, obviously, I'm working with. Yeah, um, we exist to establish people in God's Word. So we teach people what we call the inductive Bible study method. So it's a way, it's practical, engaging tools to get people into the Bible to help them to know God um, for themselves. And we we were linked through Creation Fest. Um, back to Phil Pichonis he invited us to attend and so over many years we have been to Devon and now Cornwall to this Bible fantastic Bible uh, and music festival I'd encourage mm. our listeners to check it out what are the dates for this year by the way 4th through 10th of August 2018 and you can find out more at creationfest.org.uk Did you hear that <laughs> creationfest.org.uk really recommend it it's a free to attend um, there's camping on site so if you want to book your camping or stay locally you can do obviously um, you rely on donations for the for the work of the ministry, so um, donations uh, will be taken up. But you can just turn up and come for free. Absolutely, um, and, and our real heartbeat is um, to present the gospel free of charge, like it says in First Corinthians nine
1: eighteen. And so, I think one of the joys of what we get to do is have this celebratory, extravagant, you know, vibrant festival, um, and then continue to offer it free of charge to the
0: local community. And so, we've been involved with Creation Fest for about 14 years. Yes. So this is what we do. We teach people this way of studying. But for you, how do you spend your devotional time studying God's word? What do you do? So the biggest um, encouragement for my personal
1: devotional time in the past five years or so has been the journaling Bible. And anyone who knows me knows that I'm a bit of a writer. Mm -hmm. I write on Facebook. I write in person. I write notes. I, I love to express my thoughts and feelings in the written format. And so for me, the journaling Bible is a space to read God's word and then reflect on what does this mean for my life? What does this teach me about God? What does this teach me about my world? How does this speak into the situations of my everyday life? And so, you know, this morning I was reading, I'm reading through the book of Job, and I tend to read book by book as I read. And it's this uh, fascinating passage about um, the way that God's hands fashion and make us, but then sometimes we feel that he has then destroyed us altogether. And it speaks for me today Into this particular situation of my life where I I don't understand what's happening, and we're experiencing some transition in our work teams. And yet, the promise of this passage in verse 12, this is Job 10 12, is that you've granted me life and steadfast love. Your care has preserved my spirit. And one of the things I love about scripture is the honesty, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that within the section of Four verses, Job first says, I feel fashioned by you, but but you've destroyed me. And then he, he's reminded Noah in verse 12, you've granted me life and steadfast love. Your care has preserved my spirit. So I'll journal into my Bible. Mm-hmm. Here's the the specific situations of my life and the way that God's word has spoken into those. The second thing that I've found really helpful, particularly in the last six months or so, is something that Cheryl Broderson, a good friend of both of us, um, has challenged me into, which is reading scripture with great imagination. And all of these ideas and and suggestions can tie into or be part of the inductive Bible study method as Mm -hmm, well. mm -hmm. Um, But just as I read any passage of scripture thinking about the textures of that story. What would the characters be thinking, feeling, hearing, smelling, seeing? What would, it, what would it have been to be fully in that situation? And then to ask God to speak and reveal truth in the midst of that. Mm-hmm. I and mean, this isn't just uh, an imaginative story session for the sake of a storytelling, mm-hmm. but it's to really bring out the richness of a passage that I might otherwise gloss over.
0: And the Bible is about real people mm. real situations people who are just being very honest and vulnerable and there are some things that we read in scripture that actually w- we're wondering why why is that even in here why would, yes. why would people want it to be recorded that about themselves I mean look at David and his psalm Psalm 51 when he's so vulnerable about his sin um, yes. with Bathsheba um, so there's such honesty in scripture there is. Um, so just very helpful to understand something of their context, the historical context that they are in. yes, um, And just to, to ask the question, why was this written and what did the author intend mm. through this particular passage?
1: Absolutely. And there's such a wealth of phenomenal study resources available both in printed format and online. So I think that, you know, one of the the third greatest joys of studying the Bible, if if we're going to go through the list, is reading with people as well. Mm -hmm. And that's been transformative on my personal journey. And so I think that that sharpening process of reading any passage of scripture with almost anyone in my life brings about Mm -hmm. viewpoints or richness or challenges that I might not have otherwise seen or found in the text. And so, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've done all sorts of different Bible reading groups and have found those to be my most valuable way of actually getting to know my friends is mm-hmm. just to read scripture with
0: them. Mm. One of the most enriching times that I had was uh, leading a small group of adults with learning difficulties oh, wow. and uh, we were studying um, a passage of scripture and the insights that they came out with Um, and they were able to study using marking you talk about journaling we Mm. obviously mark the text we make our lists in our bibles to learn what we can about the person or what we learn about god very rewarding yeah Um, so it it is very humbling listening to other people as well but challenging Mm. Um, so at the moment I know that you are you love the book um, while you're reading about Deborah in the book of Judges why 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 is Deborah such an important character to you at the moment I think Um, That's Judges chapter 4 and 5, I think. Is that right? It is indeed, yeah. You know,
1: the character of Deborah, I think, is an extraordinary um, character in Scripture. And there's this whole host of of beautiful women um, who have led both throughout history and throughout Scripture. And so something that's been significant for me in my journey in these past four years has been finding the space for uh, the warrior woman of God. And not looking at that as a subversive or an anti-men or a, I am woman, hear me roar view, but simply looking at the way that throughout scripture and then throughout Christian history, God's calling was on these phenomenal women to um, lead in ways that were extraordinary. And I look at the story of Deborah and what I love about her um, in, in Judges 4 is that she's a wife, she's part of her community in a way that seems authentically vibrant. And yet, she's she's given the clear anointing of God and leading by His Spirit. And I utterly disagree with the viewpoint that Deborah was doing it because not all of the men couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. I believe that Deborah was doing it because the anointing of God was on Mm -hmm. Deborah in that Mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. And uh, ultimately, the story of Deborah, as you read this chapter, which I'd encourage you to do if you haven't yet... Um, inspires the story of a woman named JL who also rises up in courageous faith. And and I believe there's something about the fact that when a woman steps into the place God has for her mm-hmm. and exercises his gifts, mm-hmm. that it inspires the other woman of their generation to do the same. And I've been mm-hmm. reading through history, and I, I just feel there's this beautiful legacy of the woman of God that we don't always celebrate in the way that I'd like to see celebrated. I went to the country of Georgia. Mm-hmm. The country of Georgia was won for Christ in 400 A.D. by a Roman princess who went and shared the gospel with that country. I'd never heard this story before. Um, I just read this beautiful book about Amy Semple McPherson, who was not without her flaws, but ultimately was used to bring thousands of people to Christ in the 1920s in Los Angeles area. And she commissioned a whole generation of female evangelists, some of whom... Were teenagers who went out around the country to share the gospel. In our generation, women like Anne Graham Lotz and Miriam Swafield and Rachel Gardner Mm -hmm. are courageously proclaiming Mm -hmm. faith Mm -hmm. in a way that's both incredibly honorable and I think uh, creates a picture for us of what it looks like to be a faithful woman of God. So I love Deborah's story because she paints this picture for us. But I, I love Deborah's story equally as much because what she does in the end of the story is she sings forth a whole chapter of Mm -hmm. God's goodness Mm -hmm. and I'd love to be able to uh, sing a spontaneous hymn that would take up a chapter that would be amazing Uh, but but she she sings in that passage and this is from Judges chapter five and this beautiful picture that says may your friends be like the sun as they rise in their might uh, verse 31. Mm. And I believe that all of us who follow God are the friends of God. Mm. And and the legacy that Deborah gives us is, let's be like the sun rising in its might, shining forth his goodness.
0: Mm. That is a beautiful picture, is it not? Mm. Um, and Sarah, so as a woman of God... You've been brought by the Lord over here, and your responsibilities with Creation Fest are huge. You've got a, a big burden on your shoulders. Mm. Um, tell us a little bit about how you are uh, dealing with that and um, plans maybe for this year, etc.
1: Yeah, so interestingly, I think the older I grow, the more I am convinced in the importance of rest. <laughs> Because the the responsibilities of our charity are phenomenal. We Mm -hmm. uh, process a little over 400K in our annual turnover. We're a volunteer-run organization, Mm -hmm. so everyone who's involved has to be um, recruited and has to kind of understand the the joys and challenges of working missionally, Mm -hmm. but volunteering missionally as well. Um, we have 50 team leaders overseeing 26 different venues. Last year we had 2,000 campers, 10,000 day visitors. I can spout numbers for a while, but um, those things, while they're a great joy, can be a great burden as well. Mm-hmm. And in my early years of ministry for probably 10 plus years, I worked for 70, 80 hours a week. Mm-hmm. I was exhausted in the work of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And this last year, I took some time out um, and I went to Tunisia and I was reading, I I read from Genesis through Deuteronomy just as a straight shot, Mm -hmm. which I'd never done before just in kind of two sittings, just read it like I would read a book. And God says over and over and over again in these passages of scripture, you will rest because I'm your God. Mm -hmm. You will rest because you are my people. And what I realized for the first time ever in that sense
2: mm-hmm.
1: is that our identity as followers of God is wrapped up in our ability to really rest, believing that God is faithful to do the work
2: mm-hmm.
1: and believing that we are frail and fragile. We, we've been given this treasure on earth and vessels. And so as a ministry leader, I'm more convinced than ever that one of the things I need to, to really prioritize is not working seven days a week mm-hmm. 80 hours a week. Mm -hmm. But honoring the fact that if I trust that God is faithful, I trust that he'll bring the people to support. I trust that he'll bring the resources around. Absolutely, there are times when I must, you know, pour out. And and those seasons are sometimes
0: more than I would like. And I'd just like to say thank you because you had a late night Skype session last night. You had an early morning Skype session this morning because, of course, we're Dealing, or you're dealing with America and time differences, so you know I appreciate that very much. But um... absolutely, and this is where I start to preach the gospel to myself because <laughs> I, <laughs> I say I'm going to rest, and then yes, I I put in
1: twelve hour days. Um, but no, th- I think that's vitally important. Um, yeah, and the festival is a joy. It's a joy to be able to see the miracles that God brings about, and to see people come to faith, to see lives changed, and to see God's word hold the power that we believe it holds every day.
0: And so who's the festival for?
1: So we say that the festival is for all. And we say that because we mean it. We want the two-year-old toddler and the 14-year-old skater, and the 22-year-old university student, and the 34-year-old single mom, and the 42-year-old single dad, and the 51-year-old retired farmer, and the 64-year-old prayer leader, and the 78-year-old builder to come and find a place at Creation Fest. And so there's uh, music, Bible, skate, family activities, arts workshops, fitness factories. Uh, I could keep going, but the best thing might be to, to have a glance through our website and see the, the spectrum of resources and venues, and to look at it as a chance to hear and discover what does it look like to have God's word be alive in our lives every day.
0: And it's not just for believers. You you get quite a number of people who just walk in off the street, so to speak, who maybe are visiting because they're on holiday down here. They see that there is um, something to do, that they don't have to pay for to attend. Absolutely. Um, so everybody's welcome, aren't they?
1: Yeah, in fact, our priority is to make it a place where anyone from any background and any faith persuasion is absolutely welcomed. And I think the longer I live in this country, and you can correct me here if I'm wrong, Molly, the stereotype is that church is old, moldy, and boring. Or as one of my friends put old, cold, and boring. Yes. This time of year, the cold part resonates. (laughs) It does. And so what I am passionately convinced of is that church is never old, cold, or boring. Mm. But that a relationship with Christ is new Mm -hmm. and warm and the most exciting adventure you can ever be part of. And so our aim is to say, let's showcase the -hmm. way that following Jesus is vibrant and exciting and dynamic and ever-changing and ever-moving. And let's encourage people who might not have ever even thought of going on a journey of faith with Jesus Christ,
0: Mm. that here's a taste of his goodness. Mm. And one of the struggles that I know, or one of the challenges that you put down, was um, to help young people, particularly speaking truth for the teens and 20s generation. Mm. What, What do you mean by that? Yeah. So, you know, as you look at the UK today,
1: you have a whole generation of young people who are not only unfamiliar with the Bible and unacquainted with church but their parents are unfamiliar with the Bible and unacquainted with church and you've got this whole generation that are absolutely detached from the way that a book like the Bible could be vibrantly applicable to their lives today Mm -hmm. and not only are they detached from it in theory but in their day-to-day practice in life that their lives are spent around their phones. The average teenager today has a two-minute attention span. So if I'm speaking to a group of teenagers, I'm doing something interactive every two minutes because that's how long their attention span is. And their only way of digesting information is either going to come through those phone screens or through practical, relevant, daily interaction in their lives. And so one of my greatest day-to-day challenges is I've got this whole group of young people, even here in Wadebridge, who are part of my life every day, and are utterly disconnected from the vibrance and truth of God's word. So it's finding ways to engage them with the thing that I believe has changed my life and will change theirs, but to do it in a way that's relevant for a 16-year-old who's never engaged with scripture and perhaps isn't encouraged to or enjoys reading. Mm -hmm. Um, And I shared with you this stat just before we we, uh, went online, but they say that 83% of those in the UK who will make a decision for Jesus Christ will make it before the age of 25. And so I believe one of the great challenges for the church today, for the people who love God and his word, is to say, are we investing 83% of our resources? Are we investing 83% of our time? Are we investing 83% of our attention and energy into the under 25 generation? Because those are the ones who are most likely to make a lifelong decision of faith for Jesus Christ. And so I I think finding ways to make God's word vibrantly relevant to that generation is a great challenge and a massive opportunity for us.
0: And how, just give me one or two examples about how you, you know, we can make God's word relevant to Uh to young people. Yeah. So um, the
1: first is a pretty obvious one. I love using good videos. Mm -hmm. And the Bible Project, I think, does the best of those videos. Yes, it's excellent. They're modern and interactive and quirky. They explain well, but they lend themselves towards questions. And so sometimes I'll call everybody into the office and say, oh, hey, I'm watching this on YouTube. Tell me what you think about it. And perhaps we'll watch the video on the Holy Spirit or the one on justice or the one on a book of the Bible and chat about that. Miriam Swaffield does some phenomenal spoken word videos. I've used those. Um, there's also a website called yesheis.uk that has some really interesting videos that we've used. Um, the I Am Second videos or short testimony videos, a whole host of resources around those. But the second one is just this. I was deeply challenged uh, six months ago because I was sharing with one of my leaders that you know young people won't read the Bible and mm-hmm. the generation have outgrown and I don't know what to do. And she just challenged me back and said, but have you prayed about that? Yeah. <laughs> so I said, no, no, probably not properly. And so we prayed together. And two days later, I went into my offices and there were a group of young people, all of whom are unchurched far from God. And... I was sharing with them that I'm preaching this Sunday on such and such a passage, and then I just thought to ask them, would you like to read that bit and tell me what you think about it? The next thing I knew, six teenagers are sitting around my coffee table reading the passage about uh, rendering unto Caesar what is Caesar's and rendering unto God what is God's, asking me what the F a Pharisee is, (laughs) and I disproved my own self-fulfilling prophecy that teenagers won't read the Bible Mm -hmm. because it had a relevance to a person that they knew Mm -hmm. and an activity that they understood. And so they sat and we together discussed this passage from the Gospel of Matthew. And so I think just looking for the opportunities and the relationships that God has given you to open God's word with people Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. to ask questions around it.
0: Mm. So there's a challenge for all of us just mm. to communicate the Bible in a way that young people um, can accept, are willing just to engage in. But mm. it's as relevant for them today um, and it, as it is to us. You know, you're know, in your 30s, I'm in my 50s, um, so we just need to continue to strive to communicate. But video is such a wonderful medium, isn't mm. it? To, uh, it is. Um, to engage with them. Thank yeah. you for that. Yeah. Um, Sarah, I just want to touch on another one of your struggles. Um, being a single woman mm. um, and your whole... Um, the challenges of the burden of working, of ministering—is um, it a concern to you? Or um, this whole idea of sexuality, being a woman today? How mm. would you? How would you answer that? Yeah. So
1: you know, there's a couple of layers to answering that question, and um, I think that in our churches today we sometimes avoid some of these hard or sensitive questions. Not every church um, but I, I told you Molly that no
0: topic was off, mm-hmm. off topic. Um, no and that was very gracious of you because you know somebody could look on the outside look at you and say look Sarah's got it all together um, she's a strong you're a tall lady you're mm. um, you're a powerful communicator you're mm. very successful in, in the sort of the Christian world but you're very vulnerable mm. and very open to Um, So thank you for that. No, no, I'm I'm glad to be... um, I think there's
1: probably two parts on that answer to the question. The first one is, you know, as a single woman and 34-year-old woman, I went back home for Christmas and all of my siblings, uh, except for one, are in relationships now. And I think there's these different points in your life where you just realize, oh, I am still single, and wow, even my 18-year-old brother has a successful relationship. I've yet to have a successful relationship. Um, and it was interesting because in my time home at Christmas, I was reading through the Song of Solomon, mm-hmm. um, which is legitimately quoted as one of the racier passages yes, of Scripture. Yes. Um, but there's this beautiful verse in the Song of Solomon that says, um, I will not stir up love mm-hmm. or awaken it before mm-hmm. it pleases. It's Song of Songs, chapter 3, verse 5.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I found that in those seasons where I am not content with what God has given me, where I am dissatisfied, is because I've tried to stir up or awaken the desires that are not yet ready for completion. And Mm -hmm. I don't feel personally a call to eternal singleness.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I don't feel um, that this is my cross to bear Mm -hmm. or um, that it's even necessarily the long-term story of my life. But I recognize That at 34 years old, my singleness has enabled me to walk in the places that I'm walking right now. Mm -hmm. And I believe that at the point that it pleases God, Mm -hmm. that my singleness is no longer the best way to honor him. Mm -hmm. That without me stirring up or awakening what's not necessary, that he'll bring that to pass. And this passage goes on to say um, in Song of Solomon, but but skipping forward to chapter 8. Love is as strong as death. Jealousy is as fierce as the grave. And the reality is if I'm jealous for the situation that God hasn't given me yet, if I live in that jealousy, if I linger in that, it will be as fierce as though I chose to enter a grave and lock myself in. And so I believe that for the calling of God on my life today, if I allow those roots of jealousy to begin to fester, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: it will kill, the ministry, and the opportunities that God has given me, which is quite a strong word, but mm-hmm. I can say it mm-hmm. because it's mm-hmm. what God has said to me around it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And secondly, then, in the topic of sexuality, and this is specifically for those who are perhaps single and uh, wanting to love and honor and serve Jesus, mm-hmm. I'll simply say this. It is hard mm-hmm. because as a 34-year-old woman, there are longings within mm-hmm. you, mm-hmm. and so the reality is I think that that's something that has to be daily given over to Jesus. Mm -hmm. I struggle less with, I want a life partner to sit by my side and hold my hand every day. Mm -hmm. I struggle more with temptations around sexuality. Mm -hmm. And there's this passage in 1 Corinthians that says that we must take every thought Mm -hmm. captive Mm -hmm. to the captivity of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that that's a, I did it one time Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and then as soon as I did it, I was done taking that thought Mm -hmm. captive to the captivity of Jesus Christ. Um, I think that is a continual submitting to Jesus Christ. And so, um, you know, I found that for me, particularly in the areas of sexuality and lust and temptation and masturbation, mm-hmm. the biggest way that God has, has delivered or, or continues to deliver me in those areas, because mm-hmm. it's not, it is an ongoing struggle, is just to be deeply rooted in God's word. Mm-hmm. Because if my mind and my heart and my attention are captivated to the word of God, then my mind and my heart and attention can't also be captivated to other things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, um, yeah, that, that's something that's been significant within my journey. And I think God's allowed it to be significant in my journey for my own humility and vulnerability.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that. I'm sure that will have spoken to a number of our listeners, so we appreciate your vulnerability. And I just love the way that you are seeking to walk in a way that pleases the Lord Jesus Christ, Uh, but understanding that you are rooted in him and bringing, as you said, every thought captive to him. And, uh, you know, we all fall, we all sin, but it's then bringing those times back to him, confessing our sin. and He's faithful and righteous and just, and he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Sarah, it is just a joy um, to have spent this time with you. How can we be praying for you? um, You know, yeah, that is
1: such a great question. I said this recently when I spoke on a panel. But um, when I was young, I would be frustrated when people would say, oh, just pray for grace and wisdom for me. Mm -hmm. Because I'd say, give me something real to pray for. Tangible, yes. And the uh, older I grow, the more I say, just pray for grace and wisdom for me. But um, I, I would ask for those two things. I think grace for the resources, the people, the needs that we have in front of us with the Ministry of Creation Fest and with other personal projects I'm part of. And a wisdom for the decisions that we make. Um, I've been reading lately just bits and pieces in the Proverbs. And it speaks so much about wisdom. And the reality is I could give a long list of situations I need wisdom for. But by the time this podcast airs, the list Mm -hmm. will be different. Mm -hmm. So I think just, just really praying that God would cultivate in me wisdom And I've been meditating on that verse that says that you'll hear in your ear a voice that says Mm -hmm. this is the way, walk in it. And so I I think just um, that there would be a real leading of the Spirit. Um, so, that as I'm faced with the decision around which bands do we book, which speaker do we move forward with, yes. how do I spend my time this evening, who do I go visit, whatever the situation is, um, that I would really be led by the Spirit in those things. Mm,
0: thank you so much. You've been a real blessing to me. I know you'll have been a blessing to our listeners. And uh, we'll be praying for you. Thank you thank for joining you. us. And I look forward to seeing you later in the year at Creation Fest. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you, Sarah Yardley. You have been listening to The Bible and Me Podcast. By Precept Ministries UK. If you enjoyed this episode, please click the subscribe button now and consider leaving us a rating or review. If you'd like to learn more about the ministry or make a donation, visit www.precept.org.uk or follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube at Precept Min UK.